welcome to a new episode of The Brand Called You. Today we have a professional manager turned entrepreneur, Raymond Andrews. Raymond, welcome to the show. Thank you. Raymond is an MBA from Symbiosis Pune. He has worked with Onida Airtel Insurance. He, he along with his wife, started a company called Soul Foods, which he proudly says did not work. Um, and then he co-founded Biryani Blues with his wife again, which is now 37 outlets and expanding. Yes. Raymond, that's been quite an amazing journey. And you're very young. Before we get into your entrepreneurial journey, tell us a little bit about your professional journey, your learnings, and some of your challenges. Well, uh, I finished uh, college in 2000 uh, from Symbiosis Institute of Management Studies, Pune. Uh, and uh, the first job I got was, of course, campus placement uh, with a popular brand then called Onida, uh, consumer durable company. So very glad that I got a job. And, uh, after the management trainee stint of about three months in Bombay, I took a posting back in Hyderabad, my hometown. Uh, well, I was very surprised that uh, you would get paid so much to do uh, touring in uh, the rest of Andhra Pradesh and just meet people and do collection. Uh, the job was very, uh, in some sense, easy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were very. I was very surprised that from earning nothing from college, I started suddenly started having cash in the bank and cash in the hand and uh, I wondered why people paid people so much because earlier I would do a lot of things and not get any money at Quebec so uh, it was a good learning and then uh, the industry was not doing too well then because uh, the MNC big MNC Korean companies had entered and Indian brands like BPL or Nida were uh, struggling in some sense and LG and Samsung were really uh, taking the market share. Uh, there was a sunrise industry then so I stayed with Onida for a year and one of my colleagues from Onida who had moved to Airtel uh, the booming telecom industry. Uh, he referred me into marketing, into a product management role. And from a sales and uh, collection sort of a role, I was very glad because whatever you learned from Philip Kotler in marketing, uh, you got to implement that in a in an Airtel sort of an environment. So I grabbed that opportunity, joined the marketing team there. I spent two years there and I learned a lot because uh, that industry was very dynamic. Uh, there was the, the industry where it was at some 16 rupees incoming rates per minute and by, in my two years it moved from to almost about one rupee incoming rates right so price drops happened yeah. media campaigns happened uh, Hutchison and uh, Reliance both launched in those two years so it was very very interesting to see what all could be done mm-hmm. the marketing budgets were phenomenal then mm-hmm. we were in the AP circle I had the opportunity of meet, meeting Mr. Sunil Bharti Mittal over a beer we have 10 people in the marketing team which I still cherish and uh, uh, it, it was a great learning experience. Uh, and from there, you moved to insurance. From there, I got poached into insurance. Okay. I didn't know what I was getting into. Yeah. Right. But the salary and the compensation structure and the whole thing was very entrepreneurial. Right. So from a very uh, appraisal based uh, growth career that you could get in most industries, insurance had uh, at least the insurance sales piece, the, uh, the agency uh, model that was there was uh, straight out of New York life. So. They, they taught people how to be entrepreneurs and uh, they gave you uh, unlimited income in some sense as to as a override on what your agency team earned. Mm-hmm. So that was a very interesting thing. And of course, at that age, uh, getting financial independence was very critical. Being able to pay off your car right. loan and your home loan made yeah. a lot of sense. And on a fixed salary, it was very difficult. And most staffing roles like marketing and 
product and ops you only had a fixed component and then a bonus at the end of the year so there was no if you were a better performer you would probably get one or two percent more but it didn't swing that much as in a sales role that was something they convinced me uh, we had multiple meetings uh, so i'd say that they are very great storytellers the insurance hr teams and they were able to pull me off uh, from a nice marketing role into a sales role so when i moved there i realized the reality of sales and how tough it is and how much time you have to spend in the sun and roam around <laughs> do but uh, i spent the next uh, two years learning the ropes uh, over achieving most targets yeah. getting uh, recognized in the national forum among the top 8 sales managers out of 700 so all of that helped me get confidence in that uh, if if you are uh, focused on something you will be able to achieve it uh, after that aparna got uh, my wife aparna was with uh, ge money then got a promotion and a career opportunity in bombay so i applied internally in an internal job posting and i to move to bombay with her and i moved into a different function with called bank assurance where we were supposed to sell to the bank partners mm-hmm. from there i spent i think the next 6 years managing uh, large bank accounts uh, small bank accounts for max life insurance and uh, then as the career kept progressing and we kept uh, growing we moved into our head office uh, which was in gurgaon even her head office was in and at which stage did uh, aparna decide to start soul foods so that was in 2012 okay. uh, when uh, which I was think, about the 12 years after you started working yeah 12 years after i started working so uh the reason why we took some time or at least we tell ourselves this is that uh, one is we did not have any uh, reference within the family of anyone being an entrepreneur so both our parents are from the armed forces okay um and most people were either in a teaching job or in a bank in the family right mm-hmm. so that was a generation which looked at careers as vocations and not yeah. just as careers mm-hmm. right so we spent uh, the first i'd say 12 years of our careers uh, trying to figure out what we wanted to do we were sure we wanted to do something become entrepreneurs uh, i think very early on in our lives we read the book called rich dad poor dad which yeah. inspired both of us mm-hmm. uh, uh we wanted to be different and do something that uh, left a legacy of some sort and uh, in 2012 we got the guts and we were sufficiently financially stable i wouldn't say we were independent yeah. but we didn't have too much of liability on ourselves and that's when uh, aparna decided to quit her job start soul food we had a lovely uh, business plan of catering healthy food to children and also doing uh, healthy meals to corporates through catering mm-hmm. uh, but what turned out on the business plan and what actually happened in reality was very different so on a business plan you were able to make your uh, whole model uh, well thought through when you look at all the costs that came in but you're not really thinking of that in a b2b segment there's a there's a lot of negotiation that happens and even if the if the uh, partner in front is very large and you expect a certain uh, margin mm-hmm. it all gets negotiated down to way for the margins okay. and then you are not, you are usually not buffering in your business plan for unseen uh, expenses like uh, it can be anything like uh, uh, from things like uh, increase inflation and costs mm-hmm. to bill fridges to sure. uh, compliance uh, that you would want to do sure. right so and the margin being so thin mm-hmm. uh, we realized that this model was just not working mm-hmm. so about a year year and a half into the model uh, we decided to call it call okay. it uh, pull the plug on it mm-hmm. which i think was a very sensible I thing because we knew that uh, uh, one learning that i share with a lot of entrepreneurs uh, who come to us for advice and speak to us is that uh, 
that you while you can be passionate about your uh, calling and what you believe is the problem statement you're trying to solve mm-hmm. uh, you should never fall in love with it correct because at uh, when you will never realize when you've gone dug yourself into a absolutely. hole you should not come out of absolutely and i think somewhere there we, we were able to identify this that early that this is something that we want to do we'd love to do but uh, the ecosystem does not permit so we decided to exit uh, we took a year we took a year to actually uh, spend our regrouping our forces in that sense mm-hmm. and uh, since we had burnt a lot of all our savings in the first project itself uh, we needed a fresh capital boot to bootstrap mm-hmm. so we asked some friends we put in some of our own money invested whatever we had uh, sold some of our investments and put it in and started biryani blues in 2013 March 2013 was the first store we started. It was a very small. Uh, so why did you decide to select biryani? I mean, you know, uh, well, yeah. such a niche category. <laughs> and why not North Indian food or South Indian food or you know Mughlai cuisine? I mean, I don't know. But. See, one is uh, the primary reason is that every time we went to our hometown, which was Hyderabad, both of us are from Hyderabad. We would be flying back. I think, like many people who have travelled to Hyderabad, the paradise or the from the airport. Yes. Yeah, I have done that. Packs, also. Yeah. right? The, flying them back home and then freezing them and eating them over the next few days. Right. So we saw that as an opportunity. One. Second is we wanted to make it whatever we did in the space. We wanted to make it large. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make it something that will leave a mark behind. And uh, we wanted to be in in that terms. I don't know the dominoes of whatever we do. Right, so Domino's was a very inspirational brand. Haldiram's was a very inspirational brand for us. So we said we don't want to do a two-store, three-store kind of a business which gets us enough to run the house. Right, so we wanted to create a mm. large brand that would be probably India's first QSR that will go global. Mm. So that was the thought. We are still on that journey. We are far from building what we wanted to build. Mm. But uh, that being the thought, this product is uh, very scalable. Mm. Right, so it's the right mix of protein and carbs. It's easy to eat. both in a corporate uh, in uh, environment like in a boardroom it can be served in a single tray uh, while it can also be a very exotic and premium dish that served in diwali functions or large gatherings at the home right you place it in a handi and set it up and and somewhere biryani has that whole exotic and comfort food rich feel to it that's a celebratory nature so uh, we thought that this is the product that can also hit a daily uh, a weekly at least if not daily where people can have it at least once a week plus it can also be perceived as very celebratory so it hit all the parts of the pyramid that everybody would want to target right so uh, that was why we chose biryani and so uh, what is the origin of biryani i mean is 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 you know there's a lot of debate i was reading yeah before uh, you know you came people some people say it's indian and some people say it came from outside to india okay. what are your thoughts on this so i, I also read on the net only yeah. because we I can tell you a lot about insurance, but on biryani, I think uh, what what we personally think is that the Mughals brought a certain form of the biryani, okay. but it got perfected in India uh, because uh, Indians love their food and they've been able to uh, actually fine tune it to the local needs. And today, I think in in India also there are a lot of biryanis. There is the Lucknowi, there is the Calcutta, there is the Mangalore, and there is the Hyderabadi, right? But of them all, I think. Uh, The Hyderabadi biryani has the most popularity and has become uh, most famous. So even if you go to a North Indian restaurant, say in Delhi, and you open a menu which has 300 items, there will be a Hyderabadi dum biryani mentioned there. And that I think is uh, gives us conviction that if you are able to give a great product uh, that uh, becomes an organized uh, national chain or international chain, 
right? There is a very big market because in every restaurant mm-hmm. there is a biryani listed. Yeah. They might be making a pulao or a, or a shortcut method or doing whatever they do, but there is a uh, need that a customer wants when he walks into a restaurant and he wants to see that biryani. That's why it's listed there. Mm-hmm. Now, for since we started, a lot of biryani chains have opened. Mm-hmm. We were probably the first of the block in NCR who were uh, who has really been able to build this uh, category, biryani category. and a uh, lot more people coming but we are growing at uh, a very yes. very healthy rate and i'm sure they are also growing the market itself is very large for the organized uh, biryani space so you know uh, talking about biryani i mean you know there is hyderabad biryani there is gujarat biryani there is you know biryani is being made by different people in different homes yeah is there any difference in the way hyderabad biryani is made or is just branding no i think it's completely different mm-hmm. right each of these biryanis are made very differently uh, the hyderabadi biryani in that sense is a little uh, more difficult in the sense the preparation process is much longer and requires some bit of skill okay um it uh, what they follow in hyderabad is called a kachi gosh biryani yeah. okay uh, so what they do is all the the main ingredient which is either the meat or the chicken or the vegetables right so that is in a raw form before you seal the hand which in most other cuisines where it is a pakki gosh or if it's a uh, pulao in some sense right they're all cooked together i see so but in this you have to be very delicate that you don't burn the meat at the bottom of the vessel so you have a marinated uh, meat that's put in a thick bottom handi and then you have layering of rice cooked at various uh, levels mm-hmm. so i think that's uh, uh, somewhere in that sense you need to have some skill right so it's layered at various levels of cooking then you seal the handi and then you cook it from uh the bottom mm-hmm. so the high heat at the bottom at high flame uh, makes the marinade boil and then the flavor goes up into the rice cooking each level of rice so the t- topmost layer is already about 80 90% done doesn't require so much cooking but that's how the flavor comes up okay. and that's a very skillful and uh, i think delightful process of sure. this old cooking old method of cooking and i think that's what's made it famous because the flavors that you get from uh the dum which comes out or the bhap that comes out from uh the raw meat is uh, very different from if you cooked it together so that's a speciality that cuts someone who's been in in you know onida and then in telecom and insurance i'm very impressed at your knowledge of this has all been acquired over the last few years <laughs> so you said that you know kachcha biryani is where raw meat is put right yes. and pakka biryani is where the meat is pre cooked pre cooked and then cooked pre cooked and then cooked that's also layered mm-hmm. so I think in the biryani there is the 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 fundamental thing is layering. So in the pakki biryani there is a base of rice and then there is a layering of cooked meat with some fried onions. Then you again layer the rice and do some garnishing and then you again dump it for some time. But that's the easier method because mm-hmm. when you're cooking meat separately you can't undercook or overcook it. But in kachi gosh biryani once you open the handi you can't redo anything. Right? So, so do you get all your uh, your your chefs from Hyderabad or you training people here? So initially we used to. Now we've uh, created a learning and development team one and second is we simplified the process quite a bit mm. so uh, in in the whole uh, probably biryani industry in india i think we are probably the most ahead in terms of uh, solving the whole uh, uh, process the sop of making a biryani mm. and we made it so simple that uh, a person with reasonable skill okay he does not need to be a chef or ihm graduate or something like right reasonable skill and probably a little bit of uh, knowledge of how cooking works will be able to make a biryani so we've solved the back end quite a bit because the objective was to not be in 100 stores but to be in 1000 stores 
so then you can't have thousand chefs it's going to be a very difficult process and then people management is getting more and more uh, costlier now and it's going to be more difficult uh training them across so many locations is going to be difficult mm-hmm. so we've moved a lot on technology also so we've been able to actually uh make some of the processes automated so that's making well the product remains the same so i think we've done a lot of research in the last 5 years uh because our process our whole thought process has always been scale to be able to give a good product across india to while there are local heroes in every region uh, it's also because there is no national uh, organized alternative so right? that you know leads me to the next question which is you know, I was going to ask you is there research happening and are we reaching a stage with biryani where you know there will be this plastic container you lift the lid put hot water and it's ready to eat biryani all the same that i think is already there in the indigo flights okay. <laughs> but, uh, but not, not that, that's, that's not, not that's not yeah so packaged food packaged food versus uh, freshly cooked food is very different and also people are willing today to pay for quality and the whole experience of getting the aroma when they open a box right so there is a difference like definitely a segment of that who's an on the go mm-hmm. right which is more who wants to eat out of a 711 kind of a store right doesn't have time is reaching home late he packs takes something home and opens it heats and eats it right? mm-hmm. which has a shelf life uh, we are in the uh, freshly cooked segment so that i think has always been our uh, uh, motto that we will give a uh value for money product we will give it to the customer fresh that will be tasty mm-hmm. and we we'll deliver it to him on time and give him an overall very good experience so uh, in that this piece doesn't uh, fit for us so much mm-hmm. but there is definitely a segment for that but then that's priced also accordingly so packaged products yeah. while you're building your brand on a on a quick service restaurant right while you can solve all the back end pieces the end product needs to be cooked so even if you see a kfc or a mcdonald right which is the frying of the french fries or the patties happening right there right, right. so uh, that i think will always be our uh, go to model right but evolution has definitely happened this water and putting water and eating a biryani is already there it's already there okay. so, but we are not going no, in that space i understand so you know one of the things that i've uh, you know whenever i speak to someone who's a food entrepreneur like you uh one of the big challenges most food entrepreneurs face is what i call menu fatigue okay you know a customer uh, given the wide variety of foods available wants to keep experimenting with different kinds of foods right so you know how do you handle the fact that you know the same customer may not keep coming back you mentioned earlier uh, sure. you know talk once a week but do customers want to keep coming back and eating biryani that frequently or is it just the sheer size of the market that is driving your business no our repeat rates are pretty uh, high okay so i'll come to that but uh, having said that we do our uh, product uh, introductions probably once every quarter okay. uh, but having said that still our chicken biryani which is the product we started the business with and our veg biryani together take 80% of the business mm-hmm. see all the other 25 products that are on the menu uh, are the other 20% right so i think there is a lot to learn from the uh, the fried chicken of kfc or the mac chicken from mcdonald's right. which has been there for 40 years or 50 or years the butter right? chicken and roti yeah the butter chicken and roti right so those products are the favorite so consumer walks in he might see the whole menu five times and then he'll order a chicken biryani mm-hmm. right so that uh, i think is not going anywhere but there is a the millennial the population which wants to experiment for which we launch uh, at least one product and then there is seasonal products that we launch for like in the eid time the 40 day or mm-hmm. the 35 day before the eid we launch halim mm-hmm. which is very popular back 
in Hyderabad. So that started picking up a lot. Then we do a we have started a very uh, unique spicier uh, chicken sixty five biryani variant, mm. which uh, uh, basically uh, has a lot of color and is uh, spicy and boneless, and so that also is getting a lot of uptake. Okay. So we keep launching a product, and when we launch products, we spend a lot of time, energy, and money marketing it, so people come to know. Mm. While we are at thirty seven locations, uh, we do a lot of uh, outdoor and we do a lot of digital marketing too. to promote this product so it's not just hidden on, yeah. on a tent card in a dining uh, service area right so so one more question before i move to the next segment you know what's it like to have uh, a spouse as a co promoter do you take the office to the house and house to the office i think it's mostly taking the uh, office to the house right the house is being managed by grandparents and the whole support system of uh, people people that are there but uh, i think uh, uh, most of the time we're discussing work at home too because we are in a startup phase still and uh, there is a lot of uh, focus dedication and uh, unwavering uh, attention that is required to this business mm-hmm. so uh, we have now about 500 people working with us we have the responsibility of making their careers grow uh, too so i think most of the time we're taking uh, work home and uh, i think since the fnb business runs till 11 well at night you're always having to be on your toes even mm-hmm. if you're at home mm-hmm. having said that other than that uh, uh, it's great working with your spouse mm-hmm. because you, you are on the you oh after spending so many years with each other you are on the same wavelength on many things right you can complete each other's sentences right so the thoughts and the direction are very similar uh, you can drop the ball for some time because you have a partner who also understands and has the same vision right so if i have to be pulled out for some personal reasons Uh, be it my parents' health or any other thing, right? She's able to manage the ship. Yeah. The same way, if she needs to step out, I'll be able to manage the ship. Right? We also have complementary uh, uh, skills to each other, right? So uh, that works very well for us. So moving into your journey as a startup entrepreneur, you know, this is your second venture. Um, what are some of the basic mistakes that a lot of startup entrepreneurs make? Some of the mistakes that I, I see, there are tons of mistakes you can make. Absolutely. But I think one of the things that we've learned, and I think we still haven't learned properly, is that not planning enough for your cash flows, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, or cutting corners too much because you don't want to raise too much funds, mm-hmm. or um, it can be that you are not spending enough time uh, working on the finances while you're working too much on your product and your marketing and your backend. Right? That's something probably that a lot of startup entrepreneurs. Uh, take for granted right so i'll get the money when i need it right now i don't need it right so uh, that's when you run into a vicious circle and sometimes you're you have to shift your entire focus from paying the next month's salary and keeping the business alive or paying your vendors than actually focusing on and and often all problems come at the same time so you're out of money and competition has launched something else and then there's a government ruling right so that all can just take you off so if you're not sufficiently padded with uh, at least a six months view uh, you should be worried I think that's a big, yeah. big thing that most entrepreneurs do. Second is I think that they, uh, they focus is on what they believe, right? Should continue. I've seen a lot of younger entrepreneurs who started great startups, mm-hmm. but because an investor told them otherwise, or because the feedback that they got was different, they changed their model, right? And they went into something different, completely different from what they initially saw as uh, a pain area that they could solve. I think if you're focused. Shifts too easily because five people told you that it's not working. Uh, 
that also is very risky because you'll be doing something for someone else is saying so the passion automatically diminishes mm. right so those are something yeah. other than that uh, i like i said earlier that don't fall in love with the project you know when to pull the plug right okay. so these are some things that probably okay. have uh, kept us uh, uh, sorted yeah say <laughs> so the next question is when uh, you've already scaled up to 37 outlets and you mentioned you're looking at thousands of uh, outlets and good luck to you i hope to see you all over the world but at what stage should an entrepreneur start to think of scaling up uh so it all depends on how much uh, what do you say uh what's the entrepreneur's vision himself right what does what does he want to make for us it's very large some people might want to take it to a certain scale right and then not have too much hassle it depends on his own uh, thought process mm-hmm. but i think the time to scale up will be only when you've been able to prove the unit economics of one model at least that it's working right so today you can get swayed by a lot that's happening in the whole uh, uh, food tech space and fintech space mm-hmm. right where uh, people are thinking the model will work later let's first put so much scale, scale that the ecosystem yeah. changes mm-hmm. right and people start only seeing you mm-hmm. right so for that kind of model works when you have a lot of financial backing and a uh, lot of uh, mnc funding that is, that mm. you can keep pushing in uh, your own uh, vision but if you're not and you have limited funds then you have to ensure that the model is not burning too much cash mm. you're able to actually make it work in one at least unit economics so when we opened our first store we got a lot of confidence that uh, like we set a target in our business plan of 4.5 lakh sale for the first month and we did 7 and a half in the first month but the margin was the same which we would have made on the excel sheet on 4 and a half so we had to do some tweaks and uh, do some learnings and everything and from then thankfully we've been able to uh, grow the business mostly on word of mouth and uh, building a great product and service but uh, having said that uh, uh, if you have to decide to scale large you should be having a look at that financial cash flow management thing right? because the more you open and if you are making loss the more you burn and that's a big big Correct. challenge Correct. and burn is always difficult burn is always difficult so a few questions on you for you personally um are there any people who have had an influence on you and who have mentored you oh, well in my so the one person who's been a long time uh, what do you say mentor in sir was my supervisor in max life his name uh, is vishi i used to call him only uh, i learned from him how to manage time mm-hmm. because he would manage everything from doing his morning uh, tennis to coming to work early to uh, managing 20 things at the workplace not missing uh, anything reviewing us on everything that he gave us on the right day and the right time it was amazing so i had the good opportunity to work with him uh, learned uh, a lot of things from him on how to expect what you to inspect what you expect mm-hmm. and uh, if you if you want something to happen then you just can't hope it happens you have to make things happen to make that happen right so that's something that he taught us mm-hmm. uh, he that's he's one definitely one person who's taught me a lot and i worked with him for a very long time so almost 10 years right so I had a big rub off on what i do and i worked had the opportunity of working with a lot of uh, good uh, supervisors both in airtel and uh, max life right so uh, it was a wonderful learnings that i carry back with me into this job so uh, and other than that i think my wife aparna has been a good sounding board and she's been uh, very balanced in what uh, we have to do and very clear of where we want to take this company so i think uh, there's a couple of people who have been 
So my next question is a question I ask all my guests um, because you know thousands and thousands of people listen to our podcasts and they just assume successful individuals have had no failures. The question I uh, have for you is what is your biggest learning from your biggest failure? So I don't have any regrets in terms of a failure. Uh, I think the learning when we shut that catering thing uh, it had wiped out all our uh, all our funds so i think that was uh, something that uh, gave us a lot of learning i won't say that it was a failure uh, it gives learning that uh, you have to be pre- prepared for the unexpected right while uh, you work, while you work in companies you have a padding that the funds that are being invested and managed for every project you did right be it in all the large companies i work is someone else's right so you take calls you make business calls some work some don't work you run schemes you run campaigns right some work some don't so but the impact financially is not on you right when you run your own business so every mistake you make has a financial impact and the financial impact the buck stops at you yes. right nobody else in the company right so i think uh, we've been able to take learnings from that and make conscious calls of how much risk and uh, and what is okay and what is not okay mm-hmm. i think those learnings are something that i've carried back from the first failure that we uh, did with soul foods and uh, from that since then i think biryani blues has been able to manage uh, sufficiently well uh, in building a business that is way of this size today we cater to almost uh, 150000 customers a month uh, in ncr so i think we need to uh, manage that piece and also grow fantastic so my last question to you you know uh, you have spoken a lot about startups and, and several people come to you to seek advice and want you to mentor them uh, what would your advice be to young individuals who are wanting to start up their business enterprise so something that i tell everyone is it's not how bad uh, it's not how good you are at what you're going to get, do it's how badly you want it mm-hmm. so if you really want it then it will happen right so you have to be passionate about um, uh, what you're doing and there has to be a real need right so Uh, if you actually see that there is a market for the need that you have uh, that you're trying to solve the problem you're trying to solve uh, and if you really want to do something it will happen and i've seen that happen with me i've seen that happen with others i've seen uh, dwarfs turn into giants in in max life insurance right because they decided one day that okay i'm going to do a certain uh, goal or target which was unachievable before or set new records right the same thing for an entrepreneur right so if he's uh, uh, completely passionate about doing something it will happen and i think that passion should not die and uh, that passion will not die if you are planning on the other uh, smaller things like i told about having a business plan being focused keeping your cash flows in place right then you that passion will not die but if you're bogged down with vendors down your neck and not having enough funds or having a compliance issue that you uh, that's at hand then that focus disappears right so i think they should just keep the focus and plan well Raymond thank you very much thank you. it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on our show i'm sure everyone who listened to you will appreciate everything you've said thank you and good luck thank you thank you for listening to the brand called you podcast be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation access show notes and discover fantastic bonus content you can follow us on youtube twitter Facebook and Instagram simply search for the brand called you thank you and see you next week